Turn with me in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 13, if you would please. Matthew 13, and children are dismissed. <laughs> oh, but I'm always trying to keep them in here, and they always, they always want to go. All right. So we've been going through a series on the parables here the last few weeks. Last week, we looked at the parable of the unmerciful servant. That was in Matthew chapter 18. We saw the importance really about forgiveness. That's really what that is all about, that parable, the need for us to forgive. And uh, we, saw, uh, we saw that illustrated with the unmerciful servant who was forgiven of a debt he could never repay, and yet he turned around and would not forgive another man of an infinitely smaller debt. We talked about the fact that we have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the reason we are called to forgive others because we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says it all. So we looked at that last week. Well, today we're going to continue along. Today's message is entitled, The Pearl of Great Price. Not one of the parables that gets a lot of press, not as much as the parable of the prodigal son or the, uh, the good Samaritan, but an interesting parable. Only two verses here. Uh, but it has a lot to speak to us, I think. So let's go ahead and take a look here at this parable found in Matthew chapter 13. And our first point of two today, what we see here is this is the pearl of a lifetime. Verses 45 and 46. The pearl of a lifetime. Look with me here. Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer as we begin today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, uh, for what it says concerning this pearl of great price, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us today, Lord, as only you can do. Lord, I just pray for a move of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning, Father. You know the purposes that you have for each one of us. And Lord, I just pray that you will speak boldly through the word of God today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The pearl of a lifetime. Well, you see here, this is concerning a merchant. And this merchant here is looking for fine pearls. He goes out and about. He's always looking for that beautiful pearl that he can purchase. Until this day here, he comes upon one that he never thought he would find. He was not anticipating this. He finds a pearl that was of unbelievable value. The pearl of all pearls. And he goes ahead and sells everything he has because that's the price that it was going to require to get this pearl. Sells everything he has in order to buy this one pearl. Now, pearls were very much valued in the ancient world, and they still are today. Jeremias writes the following here. He says, pearls were highly valued during the whole of ancient times. They were fished up by divers, especially in the Red Sea the Persian Gulf, and the Indian Ocean. 
and were used for adornment, especially as necklaces. So as Jesus is talking about this, his audience would have been familiar with what he was saying. Uh, and that's, that, that's the thing with all of the parables, is that as Jesus speaks these parables, people understood, because he's using everyday uh, subject matter. But there, these, these things, these stories that he's giving here, they are earthly stories, but they have a heavenly meaning. Earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. So he's talking about these parables here. He's talking about these pearls and this pearl of great price. And the audience, they would have been familiar with that. Now, this isn't the only place that pearls are mentioned in the Scriptures. Uh, they are actually mentioned a number of different places, both in the Old and the New Testament. Let's take a look at pearls, the most precious of gems. First off, and you could... Uh, just take a notice of what it says there. First off, this is from Esther 1.6. The floor of King Xerxes' palace was adorned with mother of pearl. Now, King Xerxes was a Persian king. He's the uh, individual that we find in the book of Esther. He's the king there. And his floors had mother of pearl. Mother of pearl refers to the inside of the shell. Uh, oysters... Um, will have beautiful uh, and colorful shells on the inside. And that's referred to as mother of pearl. And so it says in Esther 1.6, the garden, his garden there at the palace had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. Well, that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl and other costly stones. So you start to get a feel of how uh, expensive pearls were and mother of pearl. If the king of the Persian empire has mother of pearl on the floors of his palace, uh, this, is a, this is a costly thing here. And so we see that there in the Old Testament. Also, we see though in the New Testament that pearls were worn by the wealthy. And the Apostle Paul has an exhortation for us in 1 Timothy 2.9. He says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair of gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Now, don't misunderstand this. It's not that you can't look nice, ladies. That isn't what he's saying. But what he is saying is the emphasis of uh, the way that you conduct yourself should not be on the outward. The emphasis should be on the inner woman and your Christ-like character. And so, you know, it shouldn't be an emphasis on the outward, basically, is what he's saying there. But you see that the wealthy would wear pearls. Nothing wrong with wearing pearls unless you're wearing pearls, I suppose, to show off. And so that's really what he's getting at here. But we see it mentioned there in 1 Timothy 2.9. Now, we also see reference to pearls in the future. The future city of Babylon uh, mentions it. Pearls will be a costly commodity within that future city. Uh, that city of Babylon will be rebuilt one day, and it will be the capital city of the Antichrist's empire during the tribulation period. And pearls are associated with the wealth of that city. In Revelation 18, 16, this is the fall here, it says, Woe, woe, O great city! Dressed in fine linen, 
purple and scarlet and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. There will be great wealth in the city of uh, Babylon in the end times. And pearls are mentioned as uh, one of the commodities that will be uh, bought, bought and sold there. But also as you go further out into the future, past the tribulation period, all the way out into eternity, Revelation 21, 21 says this, the gates of the new Jerusalem will be made of pearl. You've heard of the pearly gates? Well, that's based on this verse right here. It says the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. So here's the thing. The Lord's going to make a new heaven, or universe that is, and he's going to make a new earth. He's going to dissolve this heaven and this earth because everything has been tainted by sin. He's going to make a new one, and that's where we're going to dwell with the Lord forever in the new heaven and new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. And we're going to be with him on the new earth, and the capital city on the new earth where Jesus' throne will be is the new Jerusalem. And there will be 12 gates leading into the new Jerusalem. Each gate will be comprised of pearl. So those are the pearly gates that you've heard about in the street of gold as well. And so that's what awaits us in the future. Aren't you glad, by the way? God has an awesome future in store for the people of God. If you ever get discouraged, read the end of the book. And remember, this life is temporary. The trials and struggles of this life will end. And we're going to be with Jesus forever in a place that is so beautiful, all the Bible can do is give us a snapshot of it. The gates will be comprised of pearl. Jesus also, though, referred to pearls elsewhere. This isn't the only place in Matthew 7, 6. A familiar verse maybe to you. He referred to the value of the pearl when he said, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. What does he mean by that? Don't take what is holy. Don't take the truth of God's word and cast it before those that have no regard for it. Don't cast your pearls before swine. You know, it's good to reach out with the gospel to try to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes some people aren't ready. You need to pray for them more. And there is really no good that can be gained by arguing with people about the gospel. You know, sometimes you don't want to cast your pearls down before someone who's not really ready to receive those pearls. We want to share it, but we don't want to argue with people about it. Sometimes we need to just take a step back and pray more. So we see pearls mentioned. There's some other passages, but there's a, a, a number of them for you. Now, here is the question. In this parable, the parable of the uh, pearl of great cost or great price, what does the pearl represent? There's actually a, a few different takes on that. Let's take a look. First of all, some believe that the pearl represents the church and that the merchant is Jesus. So in other words, Jesus found the pearl, where the pearl, and he went and sold everything he had to get that pearl. Perhaps. He certainly did lay down everything he had for us, didn't he? 
He did lay his life down for us. We are of great worth to him. Doesn't that amaze you, by the way? Sometimes I look at myself and I say, why, Lord? I mean, why do I mean so much to you? And really, it's more, it's more of because of who he is. God is love. And he certainly did lay down everything for us. So that could be it. Some think that the pearl is the kingdom of God and that the merchant represents believers. So we're the merchant. We have found this pearl. And this pearl is the kingdom of God. And now we must sacrifice everything for it. Maybe. But ultimately, I think Matthew Henry hits the nail on the head with what this pearl really is. He writes, Jesus Christ is a pearl of great price, a jewel of inestimable value, which will make those who have it rich, truly rich, rich toward God. In having him, we have enough to make us happy here and forever. Do you believe that today? He is the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you have him, you have everything you need. Let me tell you, there's some people that have everything in terms of this world's goods, but they don't have Jesus, and you know what? They're spiritually bankrupt. And there's some people that don't have a lot in terms of this world, but they have Jesus, and they have great riches, riches that will last for eternity. And those are the only riches that I'm concerned with because the rest of them we're going to be leaving behind when we go. The pearl of great price is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have him, let me tell you, you have everything that you need. And we see that demonstrated by the Apostle Paul. I was thinking about him as I was going through this. And I was thinking about the book of Philippians, one of the four prison epistles in the New Testament. And there's the Apostle Paul. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to Roman guards night and day. He is going to be standing before Emperor Nero. Who, and you know about Nero, right? How he persecuted and hated the church. He's going to go before Nero and give an account and testify before him. And he was under house arrest facing the possibility of martyrdom for his testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's facing the possibility of death. There he is in Rome awaiting this trial. And what does he do? He writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And what is that letter all about? It's about different things. But there's this thread that runs through that, that letter. And that thread is one of joy. What? He's encouraging the church at Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord in chapter 4. Again, I'm going to say, rejoice in the Lord. So there's the man under house arrest, chained to Roman guards, facing the, po the possibility of death, writing to the church at Philippi, who is free, saying, you can rejoice in the Lord. How could that man have that joy? It's very, very simple, because Jesus Christ was with him. Jesus Christ was there with him while he was under house arrest. Jesus was with him through all that he went through. Jesus was there in the valley with the Apostle Paul. Jesus was going to work all things together for good in his life. 
the man could have joy because he realized joy is not contingent on what we have. Joy is contingent on who we have. Now, here's my question for you. Do you understand that, Christian? Do you understand that your joy is not bound up in the things you have? It's bound up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why no matter what you're going through, no matter how deep that valley is, you can still have joy because Jesus is with you in that valley. Praise God. He is the pearl of great price. There's nothing that compares to him. He's the source of all joy and all contentment. And my question is, do you realize, Christian, the value of what you have? Do you realize that the pearl of great price is in your possession? I hope you do. So we see the pearl of a lifetime, number one. And then we see, number two, that this is a pearl that is worth the price. It's worth whatever price you have to pay to get it. The pearl is like, unlike any other. And, and this merchant, he will do whatever he can to get this pearl. Notice again, verse 45 again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He sold it all. He was looking for this pearl here. Amazing. I got a little bit caught up on that word there, looking. And I was thinking about how a lot of people are looking in their lives. They're looking for all kinds of things. Half of them don't even know what they're looking for. They're looking for rest. They're looking for peace. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for fulfillment. And they're just kind of looking all around. Some of them are actually looking for the pearl of great price, but they don't really realize that that's what they're really searching for. So that what they do is they settle for cheap substitutes. They settle for fake pearls. And there's some fake pearls out there, right? And at a glance, they look, uh, they look real at a glance. I actually learned more about pearls than I ever even thought about putting this together. And uh, it, there was this one website I was on, and they're telling you how to, how to distinguish between real pearls and fake pearls. Um, and I was going to share some of that, and I'm like, no, that's just too much of a rabbit trail. But th- there's ways to, to discern between the two. Well, I guess what I'm saying here is a lot of people are settling for cheap substitutes. Let's take a look at this here. The Israelites settled for a cheap substitute of a king in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Right? They had to have a king. And and they said to the Lord, we want a king like all the other nations have. We want to be like all the other nations instead of being the unique people that they were and they still are. They wanted to be more like the other nations. And in asking for an earthly king, they were rejecting their heavenly king. They were rejecting the pearl of great price for a cheap substitute. And so what did the Lord do? He gave them what they wanted, a king like all the other nations have, a king that did not have a heart for God and ultimately was just a disaster all the way through. But the Lord warned them in advance, this is what's going to happen. Nope, we've got to have a king like all the other nations. 
They wanted a cheap substitute instead of the real thing. King Saul himself, he was that king. King Saul himself, he just settled for power, persecution. We know what he did. He tried to persecute David, destroy him, because really it was all about just maintaining his power and maintaining his throne. I mean, here's a man who had a wonderful opportunity to have a heart for God, to live his life for the Lord, to be Israel's first king who led the nation in worshiping God. And yet he settled for something as cheap as power, as short-lived as that is. That's just a cheap substitute. And he did everything he could. He even killed the Levitical priests at the city of Nob, killed the men of God who were serving the Lord at the tabernacle. Anything to hang on to something as unfulfilling as power. You think there's a lot of people today settling for a cheap substitute of power? They think it's going to take them somewhere. It's going to fulfill them, and it, it doesn't. But that's what we see with Saul. We see King Belshazzar in the book of Daniel settled for drunkenness and pleasure. Right? That, he was, he was, he, a cheap substitute is what he was settling for there. We see that he's in there, and then Daniel, I believe it's Daniel chapter 5, they're all in there in the palace. They're getting drunk. They're drinking wine. And you know what he does? This man was so irreverent, he called for the cups that were taken from the house of the Lord back in Jerusalem. See, when they conquered the Israelites, they took their, all of the stuff that was in the temple back with them. And he says, bring in those cups from Jerusalem that were used in the worship of God. They bring those cups in, they're drinking wine out of those sacred cups until he sees a hand writing on the wall and he loses his color and his knees are knocking together. See, when you settle for things like that right there, pleasure, it's going to leave you empty in the end. How about the woman at the well? She settled for unfulfilling relationships, didn't she? She went through a number of, a number of them, right? Jesus met her at the well, the hottest time of the day. This woman thought that relationships would satisfy her, and she went through, I believe it was five marriages, and the man that she was currently with wasn't her husband. Some people think relationships will do it. Well, let me tell you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, no earthly relationship's going to do it. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to satisfy you. It's just a cheap substitute. If Jesus isn't number one, and she, she understood that at some level, she was thirsting for more, always thirsting for more, until the day she met Jesus, and he quenched her thirst. But some people think it's, it's, it's found in relationships. And then I wrote down Judas. He settled for 30 silver coins. Think about that. He had the pearl of great price. He walked with the pearl of great price for three years, and he sold it all for 30 silver coins. That is, that is lunacy, isn't it? Just a little bit of money. Some people will sell their souls for just a little bit of money. He could have had something of infinite value, and instead he chose 30 pieces of silver. And you know what he does in the end? He doesn't even keep it. He, he, his conscience is so, um, he feels so guilty in his conscience that he takes that money and he gives it back to the religious leaders, throws it down. And then he goes out and he hangs himself. 
Poor Judas, he settled for cheap substitutes instead of the real thing. What about you? Let me ask a uh, personal question, if I may. Have you settled for any cheap substitutes in your own life? Maybe you're in a, a, a dating relationship with somebody who doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's just a cheap substitute. You know what? God will bring that person along if that's his will. And for most of us, that is his will. Don't settle for less than God's best. Pray for someone. If, if it's on your heart to be married, pray for someone that loves Jesus with all their heart. I'm telling you, that's how you're going to be blessed, by having a marriage that is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe in some way you've settled and you're just kind of in the boat, Right? You're, the Lord's called you to step out of the boat and walk by faith in an area of your life. But Lord, it's so much more comfortable in this boat over here. Yeah, it's comfortable, comfortable, but you know what it is? It's boring. He wants you to walk on water. He wants you to walk by faith. Maybe he's put something on your heart and you're like, no, that's, not, that's, just, that's too scary. I don't know how I would do with that. But he keeps putting it on your heart. The Holy Spirit keeps nudging you. Don't settle for less than his best. Walk by faith. Realize it's not about you. It's about what God can do through you, Christian. Or maybe some other area. You've just settled for mediocrity rather than a radical obedience to the Lord. My word to you, my word to myself, stop settling. Stop settling. Now look at this man right here. Look at what he does. This merchant here, he finds this pearl. He comes across it one day. He's ecstatic. He realizes this thing costs about the equivalent of everything I own, but it's worth more. They don't realize how much it's worth. So what does he do? He liquidates all of his assets. Verse 46, when he found it, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That was the only way to gain it. To sell everything. And with the money that he gained through the liquidation of his assets, he went and he purchased this pearl here because he knew it was worth so much more than it was even being sold for. He sells everything to get it. What are we willing to do? What length are we willing to go to gain the pearl of great sacrifice? What are we willing to sacrifice to do what Jesus says? I think sometimes we feel like we don't have to sacrifice anything. I just keep doing my thing and doing what I want to do. Following Jesus shouldn't require any sacrifice of any kind. Not true. This is pointing to the fact that there are things that need to be sacrificed. Let's take a look at that. What are you willing to sacrifice for the pearl of great price? We should be willing to sacrifice the comforts of home and our relationships with family and friends. If the Lord calls us to go, I love that passage, 1 Kings 19. In that passage, Elijah, with a J, is looking for his next um, uh, protege. And the Lord has led him to Elisha, with an S, and he goes to him, and I think he wrapped his cloak around him as a symbol of, I'm calling you to follow me. And we see something interesting in Elisha. At the time, Elisha's out in the field. I think he had 12 oxen. He's plowing the fields. You know what Elisha does? He takes those oxen, and he sacrifices them unto the Lord. 
He takes the yoke that the oxen are in and he burns it as part of the sacrifice. There's a guy who's walking by faith right there. I'm not going to need these anymore because the Lord has called me to go. He says goodbye to mom and dad and he follows Elijah. See, sometimes we're called to go, but what we do is we leave the oxen in the barn just in case it doesn't work out. I'll come back later. Now, when he calls you to go, you leave everything behind. You leave the comforts behind. You leave it all to follow the call of God. And when he calls you, he will make it clear. And when he calls you, you must go. You can't leave those things back there and return to those things if it doesn't work out. Let me tell you, if Jesus is in it, it's going to work out. I'll never forget what my pastor Tom told me. I don't know how long. This is over 20 years ago now. But I had just started feeling the call to the ministry. I told him one day, I said, Pastor Tom, you know, I hope this pastoring thing works out for me. Because if it doesn't, I really don't have a plan B. I still don't, by the way. He said to me, Josh, if the Lord is in it, you won't need a plan B. And that's, that's something some of you need to realize. If the Lord is in it, you won't need a plan B. There is no plan B with the Lord. If he's calling you to go, you go. You trust God. If he's calling you to the mission field, you go to the mission field. He'll open the doors. If he's calling you for some area of service, you go and you trust in him. Wherever he's calling you, you kill the oxen, you burn the yokes, and you go. It does involve sacrifice. This idea that it doesn't isn't true. We should also be willing to sacrifice our goals and ambitions for God's. Our goals and ambitions. Paul had a lot of goals and ambitions. In fact, Paul's resume was absolutely flawless when he was in Judaism. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, you name it, he had it on that resume. He had a zeal for God. He persecuted the church. He lists it all there in Philippians chapter 3. Perfect resume. And yet he also says in that passage that he sacrificed it all to follow Jesus. And he uses some colorful language. He refers to that previous life as dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ and following him. Listen, there's nothing wrong with goals and ambitions and plans, but if God changes your goals and ambitions and plans, let him change your plans. Sacrifice your plans for his plans because I'll tell you, his plans are better than your plans. And again, you know, when I, w I was 21 years old and I was working on my, my, uh, my bachelor's degree in psychology and um, I was thinking that I would go get a, a graduate degree, a master's degree, and that I would be some sort of a counselor. And I'm filling out all of these, uh, 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 you know, things, these applications and whatnot to get into, uh, you know, to get into some graduate, pro I had like five of them, and to get into these schools and whatnot. And they cost a lot of money, you know, applying to all these programs and it was right then and there that the Lord got a hold of my life at the age of 21. And it was like he said, save your money. You're not going. You're go you were going in that way. Now you're going in this way. He changed my plans. Let me tell you, at, at the age of 21, the last thing in the world I thought I would be one day is a pastor. Here I am. 
sacrifice your goals for God's goals because his goals are better. We should also be willing to sacrifice any sin that is interfering with our relationship with the Lord. Hebrews 12.1 talks about the Christian life. It is a race, and it's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. It requires endurance. And it also says in that passage, we need to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. So if you're running in a marathon, and you've got a backpack on, and it has 50 pounds in it, it's going to make that marathon so much more difficult, isn't it? We need to sacrifice any sin that is interfering with our relationship with the Lord. Sinful attitudes, sinful actions, sinful words, sacrifice them. Get rid of them. Throw them off so that you can run the race God has for you to the best of your ability. And then I would also say, we should be willing to sacrifice anything that has become an idol in our lives. Idols can creep in, can't they? An idol is just anything that takes the place of God, right? Anything we're putting above the Lord, anything that's more important to me than my time with the Lord, anything that's more important to me than worshiping with the people of God, anything that is more important to me than pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ is an idol. Sacrifice it. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. My question to you, how valuable is the pearl to you? How valuable is the pearl of great price? The merchant sacrificed everything he had to gain it. What are we willing to sacrifice to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? One final thing I'd like to share with you has to do with what I'll call the wounding of the oyster. So pearls, the way they're formed, you probably already know this, most of you, but the way that pearls are actually formed is when an irritant, such as sand or some other particle or whatnot, gets into the oyster, right? So let's say a little piece of sand gets into that oyster. The oyster responds to it, to that irritant, to that wounding, if you will, by creating uh, the pearl, essentially, that's a response to that, that irritant that is in there. So it is through the wounding, if you will, of the oyster that the blessing of a pearl is created. And I was thinking about that in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his wounds we are healed. It is through the wounds that he endured that the pearl, that, that his salvation is offered unto us. Have you received that salvation today? Have you found the pearl of great price? He is worth more than we even understand, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is everything. Let's go to him as we close. If you've never found that pearl of great price, listen. The Lord extends his salvation to you today. He extends forgiveness to you. He wants you to claim it as your own. But it can only be claimed through faith. Is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in yourself? Have you really received that pearl of great price? If you want it, then ask him. 
Ask him and he will come in. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. And he will bring you into a place of blessing where you could have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's contingent on faith. He's paid the price in full for all of our sins on the cross. If you ask him for forgiveness, he will forgive you. But you must come in humility. And you must trust in what he did, his death, burial, and his resurrection. And I do pray, Jesus, that if there's anyone listening right now who has never trusted in you, that you would touch their heart in such a way that they would receive the pearl of great price. For the believer here today, what needs to be sacrificed to get that pearl? What's getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord? Hey, it's between you and the Lord. Only you know the answer to that. What needs to be laid down your life would be honoring and pleasing to him. Would you commit yourself right now, right where you're sitting, to just sacrificing anything, whatever the Spirit has put on your heart, you know what it is. Would you go to the Lord right now and commit yourself to laying that down? Because you don't want anything to get in the way of, of gaining that pearl. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would bless this time of prayer. We thank you for who you are. We love you, Lord Jesus. May your name be honored. May your name be glorified. Father, help us to put you first. To do whatever we have to do, Lord, to follow you, to follow your call in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like to come down now. God bless you.